you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And um, we're going to have a newcomer's lunch after the third service. Maybe you, you live nearby here. Um, or if you want to just hang around for a little bit and then come back, that would be um, a good thing. We're going to be uh, focusing on our vision. For those of you who are new to our church, just a really wonderful time to meet our staff and hear more about our church. We're going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 5. And last week was uh, uh, Easter. It began the Easter season. And the reason I wanted to go into the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to do this for about, we're going to be in this series for about three months. I wanted to do it because you cannot separate the life of Jesus from the teachings of Jesus. And that they, they are all connected. And so we're going to focus on the, the risen way of the kingdom and focus on how the Sermon on the Mount is the risen way of, of Jesus' kingdom. And when we focus on the resurrection, uh, as we connect it to what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, there are a couple of things that I want to highlight throughout this series. Number one, that the resurrection is God's way of confirming everything that Jesus said about himself is true. God's, the resurrection is God vindicating Jesus and essentially saying whatever Jesus said about himself, he's the way, the truth, and the life, he is the resurrection, all of those things are true. The resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus. But beyond it being God's vindication of Jesus, the resurrection is God's way of affirming, not just confirming everything Jesus said about himself, but affirming that everything Jesus said about the kingdom of God is the way, the truth, and the path to life. And so we're going to uh, explore the Sermon on the Mount for the next uh, three months, and I believe God's going to come to us in, in great power as he reshapes uh, our hearts and our lives in light of his resurrection. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. We're going to focus particularly on verse number 3. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are those who are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's all read that together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, today, we're trying to get every nutrient out of this verse. I had a pork chop the other day. I was eating that thing until I got everything. I said, this is like, this is the verse. We're going to do that to this verse today. Amen. We're going to do that to this verse. So let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and open our hearts and our minds. Lord, at this moment, would you open our hearts and our minds, our eyes, that we would see what you want us to see that we would hear what you want us to hear, and Lord, that, you, that we would receive every gift you have for us this day. And so we offer this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You cannot understand the uh, Christian faith without appreciating the paradoxical nature of it. Christianity is full of paradoxes. A paradox is a statement that on the surface seems to be contradictory, but when you look beneath the surface, you see that there's hidden wisdom that is available to us. And if you want to understand Christianity and following Jesus, you can't understand it without appreciating paradox. Christianity says if you want to be great or the greatest, you need to be the least. Christianity says if you want to be the first, you need to be last. 
The Christian faith says if you want to be rich, you need to be poor. In other words, the way of Jesus is countercultural. The way of Jesus is counterintuitive. And in light of Easter, I want to share another kind of paradox, and that is that the abundant resurrection life is to result in a poverty of spirits. Hear that paradox. The abundant resurrection life of God is to result in a poverty of spirit out of which true abundance comes to us. And that's what I want to focus on today, that this notion that poverty of spirit is the way to abundant blessing, that the glorious resurrection of Jesus empowers us to live a life with great poverty of spirit. And this is how Jesus opens up the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount, with words of poverty. Now, when Matthew, the gospel writer, uh, writes about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And so the way he outlines the gospel is very intentional. Matthew, the gospel writer, begins by saying, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Because Jesus is speaking to, uh, or Matthew is writing particularly to a Jewish audience, when they would hear this language, they would immediately think back to Moses, because it was Moses who went up to the mountain to receive revelation from God. But here's the twist on it. Jesus goes up to the mountainside not to receive revelation, but to give revelation. And so in that statement, Matthew's trying to let us know Jesus is not just the new and better Moses. Jesus is the true God who gives revelation. And it is in the subtlety of those nuances that Matthew, throughout the gospel, his gospel wants to communicate the countercultural way of Jesus. And so Jesus gives these instructions on the Sermon on the Mount. Mount. It's a manifesto of the kingdom of God. And in this this sermon, we have the essence of the kind of life. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And and what are his followers to be marked by? We see it right here on the Sermon on the Mount. I like how Stanley Harawas said it. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is a description of a way of life of a people, a people of a new age that results from following Jesus, that a new age, a new age has come in the person of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is the very job description, if you will, that describes us following Jesus in this way. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is pivotal. It's, it's primary. It's critically important for us to follow. And you could argue that the church has suffered most primarily in our witness because we have not taken the Sermon on the Mount seriously. You could argue that most people, most Christians see the Sermon on the Mount as optional, as if Jesus called it the, the suggestion on the mount. Like, if you can get around to it, here's some things that will help your life go a, a little better. And so on one side, we think of it as optional. On another side, how it's often interpreted, it's aspirational, kind of in, an, an impossible aspirational list of things that we cannot really do. And so we need just to confess that we're sinners, But we don't really have to take these words seriously. They're either optional 
or there, it's an impossible aspiration that if, you, if we, can, we can try, but we really can't do it. But no, when Jesus gave us these words, he's saying, I want you to truly live these out. And he knew we couldn't do it in our own strength, but yet he calls us to live this out, which is why he begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their poverty and receive God's kingdom life. Now, what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is it begins with blessing, not with commands. It begins with blessing. And that in itself is worthy of a lot of reflection. We are we often inclined to think that blessing follows obedience. Demands come, commands come, and then obedience. But I love how Jesus starts the sermon. He begins with blessing. And then he goes into demands. Then he goes into commands. It was uh, Dale Bruner who said that, that he blesses before he demands. He helps before he orders. And so Jesus is saying, before we talk about how to live in this thing, we need to know that, that, that you're blessed. You belong to me, and you are already blessed. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack that phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And I want to break it down in, in three different parts. First, blessed, then I'm going to focus on are the poor in spirit, and then for theirs is the kingdom of God. First, I want to talk about being blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God blessed. Now, when Jesus says blessed, that word is, it's, it's the condition of an individual who has been favorably accepted by God and who has received divine approval. Your blessing, the, you, it is a condition of an individual who has been favorably accepted by God and has received his divine approval. Now, there have been other words that many translators have used to try to get at the range of meaning with that word blessed. Others have translated it fortunate. Fortunate are the poor in spirit. Other translations say happy. Happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. And I like happy. I just like the word happy. Happy. It's, it captures the paradox. Happy are the poor in spirit. It doesn't make sense to our world. And yet Jesus saying, essentially says the way to true happiness is to follow in this particular way. Now, the world is longing for happiness. We're longing for blessing. We're longing for happiness. And, and earlier this year, I, I came across an article in the New York Times that uh, highlighted Yale University, and it, and it said, uh, Yale's most popular class ever, happiness. It was a class on happiness. And, and it said that uh, a few days after registration opened up, that there were 300 people who signed up for it. And within three days, there were 600 people. And with another three days, there were 1,200 students. 25% of the student body took this class on psychology and the good life and happiness. And what I think, when I, when I read this article and I saw these students longing for happiness, I thought this is not just an Ivy League phenomenon. This is not a university or a, or a college thing. All of us are longing 
for happiness. And this article and this idea expresses clearly that there, we, there's a universal need for us to be happy. And here's the thing. God wants you to be happy. God, wa- God wants you to. We often think of, of God as like, he, God is like this, this killjoy that God doesn't want you to be happy at all. And consequently, I mean, Christians look like, like, like they're baptized in lemon juice. I, I mean, just like, I mean, no, no one's happy. And, and, but God wants you to be happy. Jesus wants you to be happy. But here's the thing. Jesus wants you to be happy based on his terms, not the terms of the world. And that's the difference. This is the fundamental difference. Jesus says, I want you to be happy, but not on the terms of the world. I want you to be happy based on my terms. And so Jesus says, bless Happy. I, I, I want you to be happy. You, you can enter into a great happiness, a great sense of blessedness. But here is the way to do it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is where most people lose it. This is where people die. I don't want that Christianity. I'd rather, I'd rather be happy on the world's terms, not on God's terms. Now, that, that word poor... Uh, when it's translated, when it comes from like this Hebrew word, which, which carries the basic idea of, of lacking. Blessed are those who are, are, are lacking. And when the psalmist writes about being poor, we see this over and over in the psalms. We see it in a negative way and in a positive way. In the negative way, to speak of someone being poor meant that they, they lacked resources. They lacked property. They lacked possessions. And so, some, and, and so it would be seen as negative. Lord, I am poor. I have nothing. Everyone else has something. I have nothing. But in 30 times, over 30 times in the book of Psalms, we see that the word poor, when, when the psalmist says I'm, in, I'm poor, is, is seen in a positive sense. And that word characterizes those who recognize their need for God. The poor in spirit are those who recognize the need for God. It is a way of life that recognizes our neediness. Now, our world doesn't equate blessing to any kind of poverty. As a matter of fact, it's opposite to our American way. And it's opposite to actually the culture that Jesus was a part of as well. The assumption in our culture and in the assumption in Jesus' culture is that the more you had, the more blessed you were. The more kids you had, the more blessed you were, which is why it was such a stigma for someone not to have any children. The more possessions you had, the more blessed you were. The more power you had, the more blessed you were. But Jesus opens up his sermon by saying, there's another way to see the world, And it makes sense now why Jesus begins, even before he begins the Sermon on the Mount, he begins, his first words are, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. And it makes sense that after Jesus would say repent, that he would would then speak this sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because that word repent, when we think of it, we typically think it means behavior modification. And certainly there's behavior modification to it. But when Jesus said repent, the Greek word is metanoia, and it means change your mind. Another way of saying is rethink everything you know to be true. Everything you've been taught to be true, rethink it. 
This is what Jesus, what what does repent mean? Everything that you know to be true. Everything your mother taught you to be true. Everything your uncle taught you to be true. Everything television taught you to be true. The movies taught you to be true. Everything you think is true, rethink it. That's what repent means fundamentally. Rethink it in light of who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. And ultimately, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, repentance means to rethink everything. And so Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In that statement, he challenges the assumptions we live by. He challenges the assumptions the culture lives by. Because up until this point, you would hear, blessed are the rich. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who recognize they are helpless without God's help. Another way, I've heard it this way. Blessed are those who feel their poverty. And this is the starting place for everything. And if we don't fully feel this, we will live trusting in our own abilities. And so Jesus is trying to get us to see ourselves in the truest sense. That is, without God's life flowing through us, we are poor. And to get God's life flowing through us requires that we confess we are poor. Hear the paradox of that. Let me flesh this out a little bit more. The opposite of being poor in spirit is not being rich in spirit. The opposite of being poor in spirit is being proud in spirit, self-sufficient in spirit, self-reliant in spirit. But those who are poor in spirit recognize their brokenness, recognize their fragility. Those who are poor in spirit are humbled by the reality of life and the reality of their lack, which is why the church should be learning from groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. AA philosophy and meetings have so much to teach the church Because folks who go through AA understand this better than most people. That the first step of healing is a step out of illusion into reality. And the first step in these AA meetings is is step one, that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And that our lives had become unmanageable. And the ability to recognize our powerlessness, our poverty gets us out of illusions about ourselves and it is something we have a hard time doing. Yet to confess our poverty means that we stay close to God. When you feel your poverty, you are moved to prayer. When you feel your poverty, you are moved to scripture. When you feel your poverty, you are moved to worship. When you feel your poverty, you are moved to community. The reality is that the church is often filled with people, myself included, who don't feel their poverty. And so most of our lack of prayer is, is not because, uh, you, you know, I'm just not into it. Most of it is we have not seen the depth of our poverty. And when we see the depth of our poverty, boy, do we need to pray. When we see the depth of our poverty, boy, do we need to be in Scripture. And so instead of feeling poverty of spirit, we, we live, as Parker Palmer said, we live as functional atheists. That say, I, do you believe in God? Absolutely. Do you talk to God? now? whenever I get a chance. That's, that's a functional atheism. But when you know you are poor in spirit, you run to God. 
Now, this notion of poverty in spirit, it doesn't make sense to the world at all. And I've had many conversations with people who were not Christian, who poverty of spirit doesn't make sense to them. And I've heard, I've had plenty of conversations, and maybe you have as well, that go something like this. Someone would say that religion in general, or Christianity in particular, is a crutch for weak people who need something to keep them going. You've heard some variation of that or another. That people say, you know, I'm so happy that you're doing that. But it's, it, it's like religion and Christianity, it's a crutch for, for people who are weak, who need something to keep them going. And whenever someone would say, Rich, you know, Christianity is a crutch, I would say, you're wrong. Christianity is much more than a crutch. It's a wheelchair. <laughs> it's a stretcher. <laughs> It's an ambulance. It's a hospital. It's a hearse. Christianity says you got more than just a limp. You're dead. And you need God to raise you up to life. And so blessed are those who feel their poverty. Blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who know their limits. Blessed are those who need grace. Blessed are those who know deep down they are poor. Christianity is much more than a crutch. And so it is to these people, Jesus Christ says, blessed, happy, fortunate, all those words there. You're blessed. The poor in spirit, he gives a description. It is the poor in spirit, those who recognize their poverty, and then Jesus, he gives this, this wonderful word, this wonderful promise. He says, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is staggering. Jesus doesn't say, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, um, the, the kingdom, of, kingdom of heaven will be theirs. It's not a future thing. It's a present thing. Blessed are those are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When, when you're poor in spirit, when you're living this way, the kingdom of God, the resources of the kingdom of God become your immediate possession. It is already yours. And Jesus says, to live in this space means that we recognize our poverty. To live into it requires us to confess our poverty. And yet one of the more tragic realities of life is that although the kingdom of God is near, although we are immersed, we are surrounded by the life of God, it still often remains out of our grasp because we have refused to confess our poverty. Now imagine with me for a moment, one of the greatest and unnecessary tragedies of life would be someone who is locked in a supermarket and ends up starving to death. Could you imagine? Someone locked in a supermarket and they starve to death. It'd be so perplexing, so confusing. I mean, go to the funeral, you're looking over the casket, bro, you could have had an apple. I mean, what happened? And it's an image, it's a tragic image. 
And yet, this is the image that many Christians and non-Christians alike experience. We are saturated. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, has come near. But the way to experience the abundance of it simply means we have to confess our poverty of spirit. And there are so many Christians and non-Christians who are starving to death because we have not recognized our poverty of spirit. And so Jesus says, I want you to experience the abundance of the kingdom of God. My life, I want you to experience my joy, my peace, my forgiveness, my grace, my compassion. All of that I want you to enjoy but it means you, you have to be poor in spirit. A place where we freely confess our lack, freely confess our need, our inability to rescue ourselves. And Jesus says, the kingdom is yours. Now, this is the foundation of everything else. It's very important that Jesus begins with these words. Because unless you begin with these words, you can't think about doing anything else. Later on, Jesus says, love your enemies. Forgive those who persecute you. I want you to try that without first confessing you're poor in spirits. Give it a shot. Try to love your enemies without God and God's resources. He's going to say, Jesus is going to say later, I want you to live without a kind of uh, corrosive anger. We're going to get to all that in the coming weeks. A corrosive anger. And Jesus knew uh, the only way that we can live without a corrosive anger is by confessing, I'm poor in spirit. I need to stay close to God. Because if I'm not close to God, a corrosive anger is going to overtake me. Jesus would say, I don't want you to live with anxiety. I, 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 that's not for you. Try doing that without God's life pouring through you. Which is why blessed are the, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who stay close to God, who have God's resources not to be overtaken by anxiety. Jesus would say later on, I don't want you to judge somebody else. How many times do we judge someone in a given day? In a given day, we're judging people all over the place. But the only way not to live in that place is to stay close to God and stay close to Jesus, allowing him to melt our hearts recognizing we are poor. If anyone needs to be judged, it's me. And yet, we do the judging. And so, if we're going to live this, this is the foundation of everything, a recognition that we are poor in spirit, that it's impossible to live the Sermon on the Mount without first recognizing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to explore a bunch of that in the weeks to come. But for today, I want to talk about how this fundamentally changes the way we live in the world very practically. And when this becomes our reality, that we are blessed in spirit or poor in spirit and we are blessed, the kingdom of God becomes ours, we get liberated in the ways we see ourselves and in the ways we interact with others. And so to be poor in spirit really results in a couple of things. And I want to unpack this, and I, I've been wrestling with this in my own life and my time with God in prayer and in reflection and study. I've recognized I'm getting a little bit more free in my following of Jesus because I've been focusing on being poor in spirit. When you are poor in spirit, 
First of all, there is nothing to protect. When you're poor in spirit, there is nothing to protect. In other words, there's no need to live covering your weaknesses and covering your failures. Why? Because you're poor in spirit. Most of life is lived concealing our weaknesses, concealing our deficiencies. We're trained to put our best foot forward, to, to, to make a good first impression. And by all means, if you're going for a job this week, make a good first impression. <laughs> but here's the, here's the challenge. When we live our entire lives making a good impression, that's called bondage. And so we build a life that avoids any notion of vulnerability. We build a life that only shows forth our good sides. We build a life protecting the dark parts of our lives. Think of it this way. When I was growing up, my, my, my mother, my parents would have gatherings and such, and we'd have folks over, and there would be times where we, we couldn't get the house cleaned in time for everyone to come. There was still stuff everywhere. And so my mother would say, grab that, grab that, put it in that room, put it in that room, put that in, and just throwing everything in one room, just everything, just, just throw it in there. And I just throw it in the room, in the bedroom, and no one's going to go in there. And then she'd go, you better not let anyone get in that room. It's just a, block that room, protect the room with all you got. No one can see the craziness of that room. Block it, block it, right? You've done this before, yes? Of course you have. It's good. Vulnerability, confession, all right? Yeah, okay, okay, we're all in the same boat here. And so don't let anyone go in that room. And so I'm standing guard. You can't go in. You can't go in. You, you, you can't go in. And this is a, me- is a metaphor for how we tend to live our lives, isn't it? That there's some stuff in a room that we just, uh, and stuff, stuff we don't want people to see, and we live protecting our lives, Protecting our vulnerabilities, protecting our weaknesses, protecting our failures. No one can go here. And what happens is we live our lives protecting. That's bondage. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, there's nothing to protect. You're you're free from that. And this doesn't mean we excuse our faults and we excuse make justifications for our sin. It doesn't mean any of that. It means you're human. And there's nothing to protect. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You've already received the life of the kingdom of God. What are you trying to hide? What are you trying to protect? And when we live this way, there is freedom that comes with it. When you are poor in spirit, those who are poor in spirit, you're not crushed by criticism in the way that most people are crushed by criticism. Because when someone criticizes you, you're, you're basically saying, you're right. <laughs> yes, I, you, you, I do have problems. I didn't do it right. I did mess up. There's, nothing to, there's no need to justify anymore. Or, or the poor in spirit, I'll say it this way. The poor in spirit don't need to protect an idealized version of themselves. That we put forth an idealized version. The version we want other people to think about us. But when you're poor in spirit... There's no need to do that. You've already received the life of God. The life of God has already come your way. Now, one of the ways I've, I've uh, heard this said, someone who lives in the freedom of poverty of spirit, I've heard it said through a monastic saying, one of the t- sayings of the Desert Fathers. 
And it's one of my favorite stories I go to, where one monk one day went to a guy named Abba John, who was the head of one of the monasteries. And it says that jealousy got hold, a hold of one of the monks, and he said, Abba John, your soul is corrupted. This is back in the day, those are fighting words in Brooklyn, you know, just, your soul is corrupted. And Abba John says, brother, this is very true. And you have said that only when you see the outside of my life. Imagine if you saw the inside. What would you say then? You see the poverty of spirit there? As opposed to, no, 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 no. You got me wrong. No, he says, there's nothing to hide. You say that when you see the outside. Imagine if you saw the inside. That is poverty of spirit. There is nothing to protect. When we are poor in spirit, not only is there nothing to protect, there's nothing to possess. There's nothing to possess. A.W. Tozer, he he wrote one of his chapters of, I forget which book it is, but but he said, there's something about the blessing of possessing nothing. The blessing of possessing nothing. And he wasn't referring to not having things. What he was referring to is things not having us. That when you're poor in spirit, there's a freedom you live with, a generosity you live with an open-handedness to your life. The the, the way of the world is this posture. The way of the kingdom is this posture. But when when you are poor in spirit, there's a freedom to your life, a generosity. You part ways with things much more easier, with your time, with your money, with your possessions. In other words, things don't possess you any longer. You have stuff, but stuff doesn't have you. And we see over and over again how Jesus, there was nothing to possess with Jesus. He had it all. And the reason we don't need to possess is because the kingdom of God is already yours. And so we live with a freedom, with a liberty that the stuff we have does not have to possess us. There is a blessing of possessing nothing. The poor in spirit are those who richly give because the kingdom of God has already been given to them. And so there's nothing to possess. And then, uh, lastly, there's nothing to protect, there's nothing to possess, and when you are poor in spirit, there's nothing to prove. There's there's nothing to prove. We live most of our lives trying to prove ourselves to others. We, we, We live most of our lives trying to get the blessing of others, the approval of others, the affirmation of others, And there's a right affirmation. We all need affirmation. We all need some semblance of approval. We all need love. And then there's a line that we cross where we live for the approval of others. We live for the affirmation of others. We live to prove ourselves. And and, and so another degree, a, a better job, a bigger house, more money, and we live our lives trying to prove ourselves. That if we don't have this, we have nothing. And yet Jesus says, you got it all wrong when you say you are poor in spirit. You have everything. You have the life of the kingdom of God in you. And so your value is not in what you accomplish any longer. Your value is not in what you achieve any longer. Your value is more than you proving yourself to others. And we see over and over again, Jesus refused to prove himself. Over and over, 
Satan's biggest temptation to Jesus was prove yourself. Prove yourself. Validate who you are. And so Jesus gets baptized. The father says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done any miracles at that point. Jesus didn't raise anyone to life. Jesus didn't multiply bread and fish. Jesus didn't do any of that. The father says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And right after that, he goes into the wilderness and Satan says, prove it. Prove you're the son. Turn stone into bread. Prove it. Jump from the temple. Someone will catch you. Prove it. Bow at me. I'll give you the kingdoms. Prove it. And Jesus kept saying, no, no, no. I'm not living for your approval. I don't need to prove myself any longer. I've already received the life of God, the affirmation of God, the love of God. When, when this becomes our way of, where there's no, not only do we have not, we don't have to prove ourselves, we, we don't have to have power over others either. Most of life is in categories of, of power. This is why social media, and, and listen, I, I, I love social media. I love being engaged. Uh, Rich Velotis at Instagram. Uh, I, I love <laughs> social media there. But the problem with social media is that everyone's trying to prove themselves if not just prove ourselves and how we uh, uh, get others to perceive ourselves, prove ourselves in a way that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. And this is what what it's come down to, essentially. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to prove it to you. And I realized this week, this is not just social media, This this is every day in our conversations with one another. This past week, uh, Rosie and I, we had a a little argument. Um, Let's call it a a heated discussion. Uh, (laughs) Sounds more Christian. Uh, Just a a heated discussion. And she said something and um, I responded, you ever had a disproportionate response to something? Like like there's, there's, there's no more eggs. What do you mean? It's like, that's just, oh, I'll go get some. You know, I just, I'll go get some. This is like a disproportionate, something's triggered and you don't know. She said something and, and something was just, just triggered and, and, and I respond. And at that moment, I, w- I wanted to prove I'm right here. I'm, I'm right, I'm right. And she said, no, I, w- I want you to hear my, no, 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 no. I- I'm right. Now, the ironic thing was I was just meditating, poor in spirit, just poor in spirit. Just, <laughs> Lord, I want to be poor in spirit. Lord, I want to be poor in spirit. I want to stay close to you. Rosie says something. What? What do you mean? And mid, in the conversation, middle of the conversation, it's like the Holy Spirit is just whispering, poor in spirit, poor in spirit, poor in spirit. And I realized at that moment that there are two ways of living. When we're talking about proving ourselves, there's two, way, two ways of living in the world. And, and this is how it, it came to me. There's the, the proud in spirit, for the proud, life is understood in, in ego-driven, right-wrong categories. I'm right, you're wrong. That's, that's the proud in spirits. There, there's right and wrong. There's, there's, there's justice. There's godly justice. There is right, there is wrong. And then there's right and wrong based on ego. I'm right, you're wrong. That's for the, but, but for the poor in spirit, life then is understood as, as being rightly connected to others. 
And she began saying, I, I want you to hear, uh, this is something I value. I want you to hear me. And to, and to get to the point of, of I, don't, I don't have to prove, I just, I just need to sit there. That takes poverty of spirit. And I, and I was saddened that I didn't live that out. And, and uh, I'm gracious that Jesus is gracious and that my wife is gracious and, and, and that I can come back to saying, Lord, but it shows how poor in spirit I truly am. That I can go from one minute where I'm in the holies of holies and in another minute I'm being used by Satan. Just like that. That's how poor in spirit we are. And so Jesus says essentially, when you are poor in spirit, there's nothing to protect. There's nothing to possess. There's nothing to prove. And this is, this is why prayer is so important, brothers and sisters. Because in prayer, we simply let go of our need to prove. We let go of our need to protect. We let go of our need to possess. And we simply enjoy communion with God. And we see that the way of Jesus, the life that God raises up is one that is poor in spirit. Unless you are poor in spirit, the resurrection life of God will not be yours. But those who are truly poor in spirit, God says, my resources are yours. My kingdom is yours. My life is yours. My resurrection power is yours. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Let's have the worship team come forward. I want us to just have a moment of, just, of silent prayer before God. I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Get your two feet planted on the ground. And just take a deep breath in. I want you to think of all the ways you've been trying to prove yourself this past week. Of all the ways you've tried to protect your life. Of all the ways you've tried to possess things and things have ended up possessing you. Whether it's dreams for your future, whether it's material possessions, we have a way of getting possessed by things. I want you to just open your hands on, just on your lap. This is a sign of being poor in spirit, open-handed. Lord, I have nothing. Unless you give me your life, I have nothing. And so I want to posture myself in this way. I want to take maybe about 45 seconds or so to take in the love of God. God loves you with an everlasting love. He, he claims you as his. He says, because you are mine, you can be poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is already yours. There's nothing to protect, nothing to possess, nothing to prove. Everything's already yours. And silence and prayer is a way of just receiving that reality. So let's take that in for a moment and then, and then we'll sing together.
Lord Jesus, we confess that we are poor in spirit. Lord, we've often tried to prove ourselves. We've often lived with the burden of possessing things and having things possessing us. Lord, we lived with the fear of having to protect our lives, especially our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And let we, are, we are reminded that just last week we celebrated that you are the one who dies in vulnerability, naked. And Lord, you are raised to life. And so, Lord, may we live in that reality today that the kingdom of God is already ours when we belong to you. And may that saturate our hearts and minds and our interactions this week. We sing to you now words of praise and gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. Let's all stand together. Let's sing that chorus of Jesus, I, I come. And let's just sing that with everything we have, recognizing our, our poverty of spirit. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward and we'll have the bread and the cup for us. And when we take the body and blood of Jesus and the bread and the cup, we're saying, Lord, we are poor. We, we need your life. We, we come as beggars coming to God. Lord, I need your life. I, I need your love. I need your grace. I cannot survive any other way. And so maybe you came into church today and you recognize You've been more proud in spirit than poor in spirit. You've been living self-reliant. You've been living based on your own power and strength. And today you recognize, I need to confess my poverty. And it is only the kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in spirit. It doesn't belong to anyone else. And unless we belong to those who are poor in spirit, we cannot enter into the life of God. And so our prayer team is here. Maybe, you, maybe you've been living your life trying to prove yourself to others. Maybe possessions have possessed you. And this is not just material things. This is plans for your life, dreams, goals you have. You've just been possessed by these things. And maybe you tried to live your life protecting your life from others. And you just need the freedom that only can come in the name of Jesus. Our prayer team is here. We'll have the bread and the cup as well so you can come and eat and drink of Jesus. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We end every gathering like this. This is a posture of being poor in spirit. And may our lives be lived in this way. When you pray this week, may, may your hands be open this way, saying, Lord, I'm poor. And only by confessing that will I become truly rich, rich in abundance from your kingdom. And so, with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, confessing your poverty before God. And may God raise you up into newness of life. May you experience the life and the joy of the kingdom of God. May it be yours. May you express this kingdom and live this kingdom to those you encounter this week, whether at home, at work, at school, in the neighborhood, wherever you go, 
may you live this reality. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Amen.